0: Hey, thanks for listening to the Join My League Football Podcast. Today I discuss what Brandon Marshall brings to the already explosive Saints offense, the possible fall of the Patriots dynasty, some Week 11 picks, and much, much more. Welcome to the Join My League Football Podcast with your host, Tim Koleka. Hey, thanks for listening to the Join My League football podcast. Lucky number 13 is here, and I uh, thank you all for tuning in. It was another exciting week of football in the NFL, and once we hit week 10, it's go time. A lot of football team seasons are going to be decided over the next couple of weeks, along with division leads. This is the time of year where current division leaders either take a firm grip on first place or loosen the grip a little bit. The Kansas City Chiefs have a two-game lead over the Los Angeles Chargers and the AFC West, and the Chiefs control their own playoff destiny. But the interesting thing about the Chiefs is we've seen them, you know, we've seen this from them before. And I- I've mentioned this in the previous episode. They started out 9-1 and before, and they've sputtered out under the same head coach. Meanwhile, the Chargers are arguably the more well-rounded team. You know, yeah, the Chiefs are way more explosive on offense, but L.A. can at least play defense. Kansas City struggles to do that. A two-game lead with a bunch of divisional games coming up do not chalk up KC as an automatic division winner. The NFC North is uh, it's another division to keep an eye on. The Bears currently hold a half-game lead over the Vikings, and they play each other this Sunday night. Either the Bears are going to have... A game and a half lead over first place, or the Vikings are going to lead the division by a half a game. So regardless of how it plays out on Sunday, both teams have divisional battles over the next two weeks. And this isn't just a two-team race, because the Packers are right behind the Minnesota Vikings at 4-4-1. So that division is wide open. AFC North, AFC South, and dare I say, the AFC East is wide open. I mean, the Patriots hold a three-game lead over the Dolphins, but something's wrong with the new england patriots you know luckily the jets and the bills are trash and miami is barely a threat imagine if the patriots were in the afc west or the nfc north they'd be fighting for their playoff lives and that concerns me concerns me not for their chances to make the playoffs but it concerns me for their chances in the playoffs i had the patriots making the super bowl but come january Can we really expect the Patriots to beat the Chiefs, Chargers, or Steelers? You know, maybe we're making a big deal over nothing because they had a bad game and they actually made Tennessee look elite. You know, it's the Patriots and we assume they'll figure it out. But what if they don't? I think it's worth discussing. Tom Brady is statistically having his worst year since 2013. And assuming Tom Brady returns next season, he will be another year older. 42 at that point people around the league are already saying we're currently seeing the steady decline of tom brady that age is catching up to him and for one i think that's a solid argument because it happens if it can happen to brett Favre, who was immortal who was the nfl's iron man during his entire career until the very end if it can happen to Favre, it could happen to brady and brady's better than Favre. i'll be the first to tell you that brady is the goat he's the he's the greatest of all time And to me, it's not even an argument. But I wouldn't be surprised if Brady never returns to form. And I can admit that personally, I think he's past his prime. That can't be debated, really. Couple that with the talent on his team, the talent at other positions, it's pretty average. Maybe, maybe slightly above average. So I'm concerned. But one thing's for certain. If we really are experiencing the end of this dynasty, you can stop hating now. You can you hate because people call Brady the best quarterback of all time, and that bothers you so much that you can't appreciate greatness. Stop hating and appreciate it before it's gone. If you truly believe that Tom Brady is not the greatest of all time, then you shouldn't be bothered by people who say he is. It's like the LeBron James factor. There are people who say LeBron James is the greatest basketball player of all time, better than Uh, Michael Jordan, better than Kobe Bryant, Magic, Bird, whoever. And because you don't think LeBron is the greatest, you're blinded by your allegiance to who you think is the greatest, and you're unable to appreciate the greatness that is LeBron James. Stop it. I know Michael Jordan is the greatest. Deep down, I know that. Therefore, I can watch LeBron James. I can root for LeBron James, and I can appreciate LeBron James for what he is And nobody can convince me otherwise. And I don't care if LeBron wins the next three titles. Five titles. Doesn't matter. He's not better than Michael Jordan, and he never will be. In relation to football, you can still appreciate Tom Brady's accomplishments and greatness and not think he's the greatest of all time. And if this is the end of the current Patriots dynasty, it's been one hell of a run. And whoever you do think is the greatest, I tell you right now that he hasn't accomplished half half as much as what brady has during his entire 18-year career and that is a fact and now it's time for the jf stacks waiver wire pickup of the week presented to you by yours truly with an assist from the man the myth the legend john foils aka jf stacks aka stacks or simply foils fantasy football season It's winding down, and in some leagues, there's only three weeks left of regular season play before your playoffs begin, so you're going to have to take advantage of players with favorable schedules, players who've been consistent all year long, if you can find them, and undervalued players. This week's Pickup of the Week falls into all three categories, ladies and gentlemen. Your J.F. Stacks Waiver Wire Pickup of the Week is Willie Sneed, wide receiver from the Baltimore Ravens. Right now, he's undervalued, owned in just 21% of ESPN leagues. He has a favorable five-game stretch coming up with the Bengals, Raiders, Falcons, Chiefs, and Buccaneers, and he's been ridiculously consistent all year long. Although he only has one touchdown catch on the year, he has just two games all year long where he's been held under 10 fantasy points. So those of you using the, uh, the Calvin Ridleys or the Nelson Aguilars, those touchdown or bust players. Pick up Willie Sneed because he will get you a guaranteed three to five catches per game with touchdown potential. The only thing to keep an eye on before you insert Snead into your starting lineup is the status of quarterback Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco has been dealing with a hip injury that's kept him out of practice this week and his starting status is currently in doubt as of right now. If he cannot suit up, it'll be this year's first round draft pick out of Louisville, Lamar Jackson taking his place at the quarterback position, so keep an eye on it. <laughs> new Orleans Saints all-time great Drew Brees has a new weapon at his disposal, and if you haven't heard, the Saints have signed veteran wide receiver Brandon Marshall in wake of the season-ending injury to recently signed Des Bryant. From one drama queen diva to another, what can Brandon Marshall bring to the Saints other than a severe migraine. Well, for one, he brings size and experience. More importantly, he adds more depth to a Saints wide receiver group. And for such a great offense, they desperately need that depth. Saints number one wide out Michael Thomas has 78 catches on the year for 950 yards. After that, a huge drop off. 55 for 473 is the second leading stat line receiving wise on the Saints And that stat line uh, belongs to running back Alvin Kamara. After that, 27 catches, 293 yards, tight end Ben Watson. Then we finally get to the actual receivers. Teddy Ginn and Traquan Smith each have 12 catches on the year for 135 and 214 yards respectively. Signing Des Bryant was smart. And in the wake of his injury, signing Brandon Marshall was smart. I don't expect Brandon Marshall to step in and catch 10 balls for 150 yards per game, but they had to do something. You know, if, if Marshall can add three or catches or so a game, I think that would boost the passing game that much more. And again, depth, huge. At 34 years old, he's definitely lost a step. He's not gonna be able to create separation or outrun cornerbacks like he did when he was 24, but he hasn't lost his size. He has not lost his big, strong hands. And he has a ton of NFL experience. He adds another dimension to a receiving core who desperately needs it. And he's guaranteed to play his first playoff game of his career this season. So good for him. You know, but the headache that this guy brings, or at least given his history, has brought to other NFL teams, it's got me a little hesitant on the signing. This is Brandon Marshall's seventh NFL team. Broncos, Dolphins, Bears, Jets, Giants. Seahawks and now the Saints and I'll tell you he acted right while he was with Seattle He did he acted right with the Seahawks But all you need to do is go to his Wikipedia page to see the headache that this guy has been since he entered the league in 2006 couple that with In 2011 he announced that he had borderline personality disorder and while it may be old news You have to wonder if he's gonna benefit this offense in spectacular fashion or become an eight-month headache that will remain to be seen in the last two years he has 29 catches for 290 yards and one touchdown so obviously his best days are behind him but the bottom line is again he brings experience and depth to a position that desperately needs it and the Saints provide him with a chance to win this year so while I may be a little hesitant in the signing if I'm a Saints fan I, I think it's an overall it's a solid signing Unless the Brandon Marshall of old turns up, then it's a problem. Now, speaking of problems, it's that time again. talked a little earlier about the possible fall of Tom Brady. And now we're going to talk about the literal fall of Tom Brady. On Sunday afternoon in Nashville, with the uh, Tennessee Titans up big over the New England Patriots entering the fourth quarter, Coach Bill Belichick, Patriots coach Bill Belichick, who is a football mastermind in all other aspects of football and coaching, drew up another tricked play designed to get Tom Brady the ball. And much like in Super Bowl 52, the trick play failed. Patriots called a misdirection, which led to wide out Julian Edelman tossing a five-yard pass to a wide-open Tom Brady. Unlike Super Bowl 52, Brady was able to reel in the pass but somehow tripped over his own feet before reaching the first down marker. Now, even if he secured the first down, the Patriots likely weren't going to be winning that game anyway, but the play still stands out, and I have a hard time putting this one on Brady, because after 18 years, you would think the genius that is Coach Belichick would know who his quarterback is, and that's a 41-year-old, 6'4", 225-pound pocket quarterback, who ran a 528 40 yard dash in the NFL combine? That was 18 years ago. So come on, Bill. If you're gonna design a play to heave the ball to Tom Brady, at least do it in the red zone or near the goal line where Tom can possibly catch the pass in the end zone and end the play. Not from midfield. Not again. Didn't work the first time. It was an awful play call then, and it was an awful play call now. No one, no one wants to see Tom Brady run the football. I promise you that. You know, was the idea to get Brady to outrun the defense for 45 yards? And if not, the idea was then to get a first down. Of all the creative ways over the years us NFL fans have seen you generate ways to call plays to net first down, you do something like this for a second time? Mr. Belichick, coach, I have to ask. What's the matter with you? I apologize. What's the matter with you? What the fuck is the matter with and moving along, Le'Veon Bell has teased Steelers fans and fantasy owners alike for weeks with cryptic tweets and other indications that he will return to Pittsburgh to play out the rest of the season amid his holdout. But Tuesday's deadline came and went with no sign of Le'Veon Bell reporting, so that means Le'Veon Bell is ineligible to play this season. He's going to forfeit over $14 million that he would have made if he suited up for the year. You can argue for days whether the holdout itself is justified or not. Lots of people want to call him a selfish millionaire crybaby, and I can see that side of things. I, for one, think what he's doing is a genius move on his part, and he stands to benefit a lot more by sitting out the entire season. I think the fact that he didn't report during his team, uh week 7 or 8 bye was confirmation enough that he wasn't reporting to the Steelers. And why would he? I think he absolutely would have reported to Pittsburgh if uh, the Steelers were struggling with James Conner in the backfield. You know, if the offense was struggling to produce without him, it would have been worth it for him at that point to risk injury and show his worth to the Steelers organization and other teams who will be bidding for his services come the 2019 offseason. But because James Conner has been such an animal this year, so much so that one ESPN analyst said he deserves at least MVP consideration, Le'Veon Bell had nothing to gain by playing for the Steelers this year other than a paycheck. And that goes to show you it's about way more than just money for Le'Veon. The Steelers are likely to place a transition tag on him following the season, and what that's going to do is allow other teams to make Le'Veon Bell offers, but the Steelers are going to have a chance to match. I could see the Steelers matching an $8 million offer, but if they let Bell walk, you know, whatever another team pays him, whether it's 8 $10, 12000000 million a year, the Steelers can use what they'll have saved to upgrade at least two or three other positions, primarily on the defensive side of the ball. See, at the end of the day, it's a win for the Steelers. Absolutely. Whether it's a win for Le'Veon, which it is right now, but next year, the year after, whether it's a win for Le'Veon then, you know, we'll have to wait and see. It depends how much money he gets from whoever signs him, whether it be the Raiders, Jets, or even the Colts. Though, I don't really think the Colts should or would even try to land Le'Veon Bell. The Colts have so much damn money tied up into Andrew Luck, they're going to struggle to build any kind of talented team around him using free agency for the uh, foreseeable future. Anyways, Bell, not reporting, ensures that he will enter the offseason fresh as can be. The freshest he's ever been. So long as he's been working out and staying in shape, and there's no reason to think he hasn't been. And that's been his goal all along. So one thing I truly believe, Le'Veon Bell will never be as happy or as productive as he was in Pittsburgh. As talented as Le'Veon Bell. I'm sure, I'm not sure you can expect the kind of stats he was able to produce in Pittsburgh. No matter where he goes outside of having Big Ben as your quarterback, Bell also had Antonio Brown and a dangerous wide receiver core to take pressure off him his entire career up until this point. Say, Say he signs with the Jets. Although Sam Darnold is young, you know, he's got a lot of upside and promise. Le'Veon will still be downgrading at the quarterback position. The offensive line in New York is a downgrade from the offensive line in Pittsburgh. And the top receiver in New York right now is Jermaine Kearse, whose name doesn't even belong in the same sentence as Antonio Brown. And I think you can make the argument for any other team who is able to sign Bell next season, realistically, because he's going to uh, command a lot of money. So Yeah, the Eagles, the 49ers, they can use him, but will they be able to afford him? I don't think so. I'm talking realistic bad teams who are going to be able to afford him. The Raiders, same downgrades apply. Tampa Bay, same downgrades apply. That being said, Le'Veon Bell's accomplished what he set out to do, and that was enter the 2019 offseason healthy so he could cash in a long-term contract. And that long-term contract is key to the entire holdout. And I wouldn't say so much cashing in. Yeah, he wants to cash in, he wants to make money, but it's about long-term stability. And that's what's gonna happen come the 2019 off And before we wrap up today, let's get into some week 11 picks. After a three and two score last week, I'm up to 25 and 20 on the show for the year, 93, 56 and two overall on the year. I have mixed feelings about this week. And as you know, I always include the Sunday and Monday nighters in my picks. The other three games of each week that I choose to break down are decided by what I think the overall difficulty of predicting the outcome is. Therefore, you're not going to find Steelers Brown's prediction. You're not going to find a Chargers Raiders prediction here. It's an important, almost deciding week for the AFC South. So, I'm going to start with the 5-4 second place Tennessee Titans visiting the third place 4-5 Indianapolis Colts. Both teams enter this game on winning streaks, the Titans on a two-game streak, and the Colts on three. We'll start with Indy. This is not the same old Colts squad. I mean, they are in the fact that it's Andrew Luck supporting a bunch of scrubs around him, but he's completely healthy, finally. For the first time in over two years and we can see the difference four and five record is hardly something to gloat about but I think a lot of people forgot how good Andrew Luck actually is predicting the Colts to finish last in the division and I I think that's justifiable I suppose with the Jaguars coming into the season a play away from making the Super Bowl last year the Titans making the playoffs as well and a tennis uh a Houston Texans team who had their season derailed last year because of injuries. Colts seem like the odd team out, but heading into week 11, they're right in the thick of things. In fact, whoever wins this game is sitting firm in second place and won't be far off from first place. The Colts hold the edge in recent memory, defeating the Tennessee Titans 11 straight meetings prior to last season. More importantly, Tennessee won the last two games, both last season. Swept them. Both of them without Andrew Luck. You know, Andrew Luck has thrown at least three touchdown passes in the last six games. Quite the feat. Hasn't taken a sack in the last four. But Tennessee allows a league-low 16.8 points per game. The Colts are going to have home field advantage. I think that's key in this matchup. Also, the fact that I think this game is more important for the Colts in the sense that they have to win. If they do win, they'll be 5-5 five and five along with Tennessee. And they'll hold the tiebreaker. A loss would derail the Colts. Loss is going to put the Colts two games behind second place Titans, and potentially three games behind Houston if the Texans can win their matchup on Sunday. This game could make or break Indianapolis's season, and I can't seem to figure out Tennessee. Honestly. Namely, their offense. Their defense, we know has been good. You know, borderline great, but the offense... The offense has been held to under 15 points three times this season, and they've been held to under 20 points six times this season. However, the last two games, they put up a total of 62 points. So the offense is currently hot, and you ride the hotness, right? Especially against a Colts defense that ranks 23rd against the pass, and they're middle of the pack against the run. This game's a total toss-up for me, literally. I'm flipping a coin as we speak. Heads Titans; Colts tails. Tails, it is. Colts with the victory, 21-20. to Up next, staying in the AFC South, the 6-3 Houston Texans travel to Washington. They're going to put their six-game winning streak on the line against the 6-3 Redskins. Again, a loss here for the Texans keeps the AFC South race a lot closer than it needs to be. But a win puts Houston in firm control of the division. I know Houston is for real because I knew it three months ago when I predicted them to win the division. The Redskins however, as you all are aware of by now, I'm still not confident in, and maybe it's my ego getting in the way of realizing that maybe the Redskins are the best team in the NFC East. I predicted last week that they, uh, even though they cannot be counted out because of their defense, the offense is carried by an average quarterback and an old running back. But they keep winning games. And they're at home this week. When the Skids have trouble running the football, their offense fails to pick up the slack. And that's going to have to change this week because Houston's been stout against the run this season, ranking sixth in the category. The passing defense for Houston, on the other hand, is pretty middle of the pack. Washington's offensive line consists of three starters who were previously backups or not even on the team. Do these guys even have a chance against J.J. Watt, Jadavian Clowney, and Whitney Merciless? It's going to be a tough task, and I see it being difficult for Washington to net 20 points. On the other side of the ball, the Houston Texans are loaded with playmakers. Deshaun Watson, the recently acquired Demarius Thomas, and the best wideout in the league, DeAndre Hopkins. But their offensive line is garbage. Their offensive line is the Blake Bortles of offensive lines. Nothing more than 100% absolute grade H trash. So recap, Washington has a good defense, a garbage offensive line, And an offense that's over the hill. The Texans also have a good defense. Also have a garbage offensive line. But their offense at least has playmakers. So it's a pretty easy decision for me to go with Houston here. But the fact that it's in Washington causes some hesitation. Still, my pick. The Houston Texans in a low-scoring affair. Final score, Texans 17, Redskins 14. And I promise, if the Washington Redskins prove me wrong again, I'm going to admit my mistakes and I'll ride them the rest of the year. At 4 p.m. Eastern time, a game that looked like a Game of the Year candidate when the schedule was released. It's turned out to be just another average Sunday afternoon football game. The defending Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles traveled to one of my favorite cities in the country, New Orleans, to take on who I think is currently the best team in the league, the Saints. This game looks to have already been decided given the spread at minus nine for the home team. But lots of playoff implications in this matchup. More so for the Eagles, of course. Even if the Saints lose, they're still going to have a firm grasp on the NFC South. It's going to take an epic meltdown for the Saints not to win that division. But The Eagles, on the other hand, they should be in desperation mode. They cannot afford a loss here. Nine wins is all it's going to take to win the NFC East. And the Redskins are already at six. They could be at seven wins by the time the Eagle Saints game starts. Unfortunately for the Eagles, this is the absolute worst time for them to have to play the Saints, and I think by Sunday night, the Eagles will be on the brink of playoff elimination. Final score, Saints 38, Eagles 21, and Sunday night football this week, if you're not aware, has been flexed. The original matchup had the uh, Jaguars playing the Steelers, but because of Blake Bortles, who by the way is 100 percent grade a trash this game has been moved to 1 p.m eastern in favor of the matchup between the minnesota vikings and the chicago bears the bears have a half game lead in the division over the minnesota vikings and whoever wins this game will be in first place i cannot think of a better matchup this week other than chiefs rams both the bears and vikings are matched up pretty evenly on the defense Although, I'll give the offensive nod to the Minnesota Vikings until I see the Bears start moving the ball and scoring consistently. Honestly, I don't believe that either team is gonna be able to run the ball that great. The Bears and Vikings ranked number two and three against the run. And I'm a firm belief that if the Bears had already played against Todd Gurley, I think that ranking would be reversed and the Vikings would have the second best run defense in the league. Both the Vikings and Bears They can be had through the air as they rank 12th and 13th in that category. And if the defenses are completely even, as they statistically are, that means it's going to come down to the offense. And I'm going to take Kirk Cousins, Stephon Diggs, Adam Phelan, and Dalvin Cook over Mitch Trubisky, Allen Robinson, Jordan Howard, and Tariq Cohen. And taking a look at each team's schedule, you know, Chicago Bears, they haven't really played anybody yet. You know, the Packers, Seahawks, definition of average right there. The Patriots are a good team, but the Cardinals, the Bucks, the Bills, Jets, Lions, Dolphins, they're not. They're not good teams. Okay. The Vikings, on the other hand, they've played a lot of the same teams as the Bears, but they have two extra losses against the Saints and Rams. The Vikings were very competitive in those games, and a couple of plays here and a couple of plays there, the Vikings could have two extra wins. Now, they don't, But they could, so you've been able to see what the Vikings have been to accomplish or at least being competitive against really good teams. We haven't seen that from the Bears just yet. So truly, I do give the Vikings the edge in this game. Well all that said, taking a look at the history of these two teams matching up at Soldier Field, it's got me completely flipped. The Vikings only have two wins in Chicago the last 10 years. Based on that alone is why I'm taking the Bears. The Vikings won last year at Soldier Field, but They haven't won two in a row in the Windy City since the 1999-2000 seasons. Also, the Bears need this win because they're going to have to turn it around quick and recover quick for um, an early game on Thanksgiving against the Lions. So like I said, talent-wise, the Vikings probably should uh, win this game. But given history, that tells me this is a Bears victory. Bears win 24-17. And on to Monday Night Football. I was so excited for this game. So excited that I was I was going to go all out. I was going to go all Super Bowl about this game. I was going to dedicate half of this episode to breaking down this game from top to bottom. It was perfect. 9-1 Kansas City Chiefs against the 9-1 Los Angeles Rams on Monday night on a neutral field in Mexico City. Well, that neutral field part is out the window. Because the field in Mexico was in such bad shape due to crummy field conditions from soccer games, concerts, whatever... This game has now been moved to the L.A. Coliseum, home of the Rams. And while if they were going to move this game, it, was only, it only makes sense to move it to L.A. You know, since this was considered a Rams home game anyway, I'm just upset that it's no longer on a neutral field. This was as close to a Super Bowl preview during the regular season as we're ever going to get. But I'm still excited and it's still going to be a great game and an offensive explosion the likes of which we've never seen before. The over-under currently sits at 62 and a half, the highest over-under ever. We know what each team brings to the table, and this game could go either way. Very well could come down to whoever has the ball last. But because travel is no longer an issue for the Rams, I think that's a bigger deal than anyone's talking about. An extra day to prepare, an extra day to rest... Still, I don't think anything gets sorted out after this game in regards to the MVP race because Patrick Mahomes still going to have a Patrick Mahomes day. Another 300 yards, another three touchdowns, but it'll be the Rams who drill a last-second field goal to win the game. Final score, Rams 41, Chiefs 38. And that is a wrap on this week's episode of the Join My League Football Podcast. Find me on Facebook and Instagram at joinmyleague and Twitter at JML Podcast. Next week, we're going to go over week 11 and 12. Also, we're going to get plenty of fantasy football analysis in as well. So any fa- uh, fantasy questions, feel free to send them to jmlpodcast at gmail.com, and I'll answer them all next week. Until then, enjoy the games, kill your fantasy football league, and have a fantastic weekend.